You've been incredible these past six weeks uh, to me and my family, and so I thank you for that, and it is appreciated. Your elders have been incredibly uh, loving and uh, supportive. They've encouraged me to be transparent and vulnerable. Um, as I go through this process, uh, transparency is not my friend. We are perfect strangers. <laughs> it, it is not courage that I have. It is boasting that I have in weakness. For when I am weak, he is strong. Don't make me cry. Somebody else will have to finish this. You know, it's no accident. It's what's great for Presbyterians. We don't believe there are any. That this is going on at the very same time that we're launching Renew. And so what you hoped was an opportunity for your own renewal uh, became my own. You know, as we uh, work our way through these uh, 29 lessons together, it is our hope that we're all renewed. And because we are renewed, we're different. We relate different. We love different. We have different hopes and dreams because they're found in Christ, not in us, not in not in our aspirations, but in His. And so, if you have a Bible with you, I would like to uh, read to you uh, out of Genesis chapter 3, because the start of renewal is to begin to look at yourself, to look at humanity differently than maybe we've heard or thought about in the past. That is through the lens in which God sees us. And because we tend to think of God as loving and, and caring and encouraging, we don't often see that we're also unacceptable sinners in need of a Savior. We tend to think of ourselves as a church of big sinners who need a big Savior, Well, today's lesson is focusing on that. And in order to do that, we have to go back and ask where uh, did it all begin. And so if you have your Bibles or some electronic device or you're just going to read on the screen with me, I'm going to read just the first 13 verses of Genesis 3. But I'm really going to uh, have us consider the whole chapter This is uh, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that 
it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took off its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. When you meet somebody for the very first time and you're trying to get to know them, the types of questions that you ask them are, uh, where are you from? What do you do? Do you have brothers and sisters? Tell me about your family. The answers to those kinds of questions shape our identities. And they often define who we are. For many of us, our past has defined us. And the way in which we perceive and live in the present is shaped in many ways by our past. Things we do today and keep on doing, the patterns of the way in which we relate to one another are established a long ago. I want us to look at where did it all go wrong for humanity? When did things change for us? The truth is, it's a long, long time ago before anyone in this place or anyone you have ever known was born. Something happened a long time ago that has defined what it means to be human and that has shaped our identity. And if something was done a long time ago that, that changed humanity that defined what it means to be human, can anything change us from that definition, from that identity? That is the reason we are doing these Renew groups. And it's okay if you haven't signed up yet. You can do it today because we believe all of us together can be working through and understanding and and helping each other, encouraging one another and praying for one another that our identities might change. That what has defined humanity is not permanent stain. It's not a mold that cannot be broken. So I encourage you to participate. You can find a lot of that material out in the foyer telling you how each week and each message is going to align with the Bible study that you'll do during the week. 
We have printed for you all the passages that we will weigh through together so that you can have them at your fingertips. You can give it in a soft copy or a hard copy, and they're out in the foyer. We think it's that important to us for these next 29 or so weeks. So this morning, as we're looking at this passage, I I broke it into three parts, and all of it has to deal with our nakedness. You don't typically hear people talking about naked things in church, but it is the only way to describe what's going on in the human heart, and the only way to describe what happened a long time ago, because that's the words in which God uses. Look at verse 7. He said, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. Even God, when he when he shows up and begins to question them, he says, who told you? This is verse 11. Who told you that you were naked? God's point is, Adam, you've always been naked. That's why I created you. I didn't create you with clothes. Obviously, God is not talking about physical nakedness. And neither is Adam. I think that's important for us because if we were always naked before this happened, then it must mean something else that has changed after this. And there's a problem of nakedness. And it has nothing to do with what you're wearing. Man and woman were originally created naked and unashamed. Look at it. Chapter 2, verse 25. We didn't read that portion, but it's the last verse of the last chapter before our text today. It said that God created man and woman, put them in the garden, and they were naked and they were unashamed. Obviously, he's not talking about that they weren't ashamed of their bodies. Although they certainly can imply at least that. He's talking about more than that. Something happened so radically that changed the human condition of what it means to be naked and unashamed. And before we look at what happened, I need to explain to you what nakedness is. Naked simply means to be unacceptable. In the New Testament... Paul will call that righteousness. But for our purposes this morning, we're just going to talk about how we became unacceptable to God. Look at verse 7 again. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. He can't mean they were physically blind and after this event, they could see. What happened is they now can see themselves differently than they saw themselves before. Nakedness originally meant to be fully known. That everything about you, everything that you keep hidden, is fully on display for everyone to see. Literally, Adam was completely open and transparent and vulnerable. And he wasn't embarrassed. He wasn't ashamed because there was nothing to know to be embarrassed about, to be ashamed of. Not only were they not ashamed about 
what they saw in themselves. They were good with the fact that others could see it too. Now, how many would love that to be true? It already makes you nervous. They didn't have to control the flow of information about them because they were not ashamed of what could flow out of them. Now, being naked is associated with shame and being unacceptable because now there are things we don't want people to know about us for fear of not being accepted. And so we hide. Why do we feel unacceptable? Because we lost something. We lost our greatness in the garden. We lost our glory. We lost our standing with God. And now we feel that if people really knew us, if we were really laid bare, if people could see all the way to the bottom of our hearts, they wouldn't like us and they wouldn't accept us. Have you ever, have you ever felt unacceptable? Maybe it was because you tried out for the football team and you didn't make it. You didn't have the talent. Or, or maybe there was a club you wanted to get into and they chose someone else. Or maybe hey, you signed up for a really, really hard class and you thought that you could really handle the workload and instead of getting an A or a B, you got a D or an F. For those that this is beginning to describe, you're beginning to feel that feeling of unacceptability. Maybe you have always been in. I kind of think that there is no person on earth that has always been in. There's always been a someone who has seen you as unacceptable. Maybe even without you knowing. So. I remember when I was about 13 or 14. And. Let me back up. Someone asked me. And a couple of weeks ago is, now why didn't you tell anybody? When you're 14 and you don't know anybody else who's getting uh, beaten, who do you tell? Who do you go to? This is 1975, not 2017. That's unacceptable. Now, what happened back then? Not what happened in 1975, but what happened way back then? Our first parents sinned against their creator. How do we know that? He only told them that they, not to do one thing. Everything else they could do. But this one thing. Don't eat of the tree of the fruit of the, uh, that's in the midst of the garden, lest you die. Verse 3. They did. And that act changed their identity from innocent to guilty. From righteous to unrighteous, from acceptable to unacceptable. And we act in accord with that every day of our lives. You think, gosh, they did that song long ago, it doesn't have any effect on me today. 
All you need to do is talk to someone who knows you. It's in every one of us. It's acted out every day by each one of us. And that, my friend, is why we seek to control the flow of information that others receive about us. It is the reason I want so much to not be where I am. I cannot remember a time where preaching wasn't the favorite thing to do. But being exposed, it feels like I have no clothes on. Now the human race has become unacceptable to its creator. Guilt now defines what it means to be human and explains what we do and why we do it. Now we are naked and we are ashamed, which is the second point, which leads to our desire to cover the nakedness. We now try to cover our sense of unacceptableness. We now try to cover over the flaws and hide the brokenness. We hide the shame of what we have lost. We hide the guilt of what we have done. And we hide the shame of what others have done to us. And we are terribly afraid that someone is going to find out. Our text shows us that there were three ways in which Adam and Eve tried to hide their shame. These are the primary motives of the human heart. What they did, we do. The very first way they tried to hide, you see in verse 7, that when their eyes were open, they went out and got some fig leaves and they sewed some garments to cover themselves. And that way they hid from their each other. They knew they were naked and ashamed and they didn't want the other one to see it anymore. They covered. Verse 8 says that when God showed up in the garden, they got behind a tree and hid themselves. And so they were hiding from God as if that was even possible. But you know how a kid works. If I can't see you, you can't see me. Then in verse 12, when God begins to ask them, He says, Adam, who told you you were naked? God, you put that woman in the garden with me and she gave me that fruit. You said we weren't supposed to eat and I ate. Blame shifting. And where do you think Eve learned her blame shifting? She learned it from Adam. Because the very next thing that Eve said was, God, that servant you put in the garden told me it was okay, and I ate. Verse 13. These are the most profound motives in our hearts to hide from each other, to hide from our God, and to hide from our own eyes. The truth to be told, I've been a mess for a long, long time on the inside. But because I can dress up, It looks good on the outside. You've had, and we have, incredible elders here. Not all churches can make that boast. They saw a pattern in the way in which I I lead and relate. And they said that that's not helpful. 
and in some cases can be very hurtful. But it is all fig leaves. It is all ways to hide. No matter how hard we try, we can't. Not completely and not permanently. Because the truth be told, there's always two eyes that you and I can never escape. Is the gaze of God. And he will never leave us where we are. He accepts us as we are, but he never leaves us as we are. Because we are his children. We are sons and daughters. You and I cannot get out from under his gaze. And for some, that frightens you. I understand. To know that someone actually sees to the bottom of your heart. All the coverings that you have, that scares you. But the beauty of this passage is that God left hope. If we left off at verse 13, there would be no hope. Other than a God who could see and could judge us unacceptable. But instead, he has given us incredible, incredible signs. You ever been somewhere in the world and you don't speak the language, but all the street signs are in the language of the country in which you're visiting? That happens all the time when I travel because I barely know English. It's primarily Southern. But nobody in Romania decided to put southern signs up. And without the signs, you don't have any comfort that you're going in the right direction. You don't have any assurance you're going to arrive at your destination. You ever been in a a, a campus or a large facility and for whatever reason they didn't put signs? Or they put signs that were unclear. Well, God didn't want us to not have signposts so we can get home. So that we could become acceptable again to Him. And truthfully, there are only two options. Either you can make yourself acceptable or someone else has to. And so the very first thing that our passage gives us hope, a signpost is about who is going to make us acceptable. And just as a hint, it's not us. Look at verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, talking to the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. What he's talking about here, just just so you don't get lost in the English... When he uses the word offspring here, he's using the singular noun. He is saying that there is a person that is going to come from Eve that is going to make us all acceptable again. A promised child. It is one of the major themes of the Bible from Genesis 3.15 all the way until Matthew says... From Abraham, from Isaac, from Jacob, from David will come the Messiah. My favorite is not 
the Matthew lineage because he's writing to Jews to know that the Messiah is coming from the tribe that was promised in the Old Testament. But no, no, no. It's Luke's. Luke's writing to Gentiles. And so he doesn't start with Abraham. He traces Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam to this verse. Because Jesus is that promised child who will heal heal the unacceptableness. It's what Isaiah writes that we sing at Christmas time and say to one another, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah is talking about the Messiah who will come and make us acceptable. It's what every mother since Eve, including Eve, wanted her son to become. How do we know that? Her firstborn, Cain. What does she say when Cain is born? In chapter 4, verse 1, it says that now when Adam knew Eve, his wife, they conceived and, and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man. That's a, a, a poor translation. It should say that, I have gotten man. She's going back to Genesis 3.15. Her hope is is that Cain is the one who will make her and her husband and all her lineage acceptable again to God. But it doesn't turn out, does it? We know the rest of the story for Cain. He kills his brother Abel. But what happens when the next uh, son is born, Seth? She calls him Seth. And Seth means replacement, compensation. For what? The death of Abel? No. For the curse of Cain. That he might be the one. And sure enough, you go into the genealogies of Jesus and who do you find there? Seth. Seth isn't the one, but he's the pointer to the one until the one shows up. Jesus He came to make us acceptable to God. He's the one who redefines man and gives us a new identity. The second sign, if the first one is who, the second one is what. What will make us acceptable to God again? And look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments and clothed them. God covered them. In case you were thinking you've got to cover yourself No, what we produce are fig leaves, inadequate coverings. But God fashions garments. How did did God cover them? Do you think those animals just lined up for God uh, to take their fur? That it was some kind of a gift uh, to naked people? No, he had to kill them. He had to sacrifice them. Because it teaches us that the only way we're going to be covered is if God kills his own son. God sacrificed Jesus Christ to cover our nakedness and make us acceptable. The idea of covering in the Bible is one of the major things. If, If offspring is a major thing, so is coverings. We know that because Noah's nakedness is covered by his sons. We know that Hosea covers Gomer. Uh, when uh, she is bought back from slavery. We know in Ezekiel 16, God says, on the day that you were born, he's talking to his people, your cord was not cut. You were, you were washed with water to, you were not washed with water 
nor were you rubbed with salt, nor were you wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. When I passed by you and saw you, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. When Paul wants to communicate salvation, he says this in in Romans. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Only God can cover your sins, my sins, and the shame and make us acceptable, acceptable to him again. All that I have done that made me unacceptable and all that has been done to me that has made me feel unacceptable has been covered. One last sign and then we'll close. We need to know how. In verse 23 and 24, Genesis 3 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him, talking about Adam, from the Garden of Eden to work in the ground from which he had been taken. He drove the man out and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherub and a flaming sword and he turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You know, God could have let us stay in the garden. But he said if he let us stay in the garden and we ate of the tree of life, we would remain as we were, unacceptable forever. He could have cut the tree down and then we never could have eaten it. No, in Revelation 22, we see the tree of life. It straddles the river of life. Because ultimately our destination is to eat the tree of life. But only after we have been made acceptable. Through Christ. Christ covers us. He took our shame. The only way he could do that is he had to climb the tree and die so that we might live. Now that we look at our past and know it no longer defines us, we can now have freedom to begin to live in light of our new identity, to abandon old patterns. Not because you can discipline yourself. Not because you can pull yourself up by a bootstrap. But because someone else has already done it. And it's already been assigned to your account. When the Father sees you, He sees His Son. For whom He says, My beloved Son in whom I love. Our Father sings over you. In fact, our past can be a source of of joy. Now I know for some of us in the room to think of what we've been ashamed of, what we have been hurt by, can ever be a source of joy. I'm telling you it can without me experiencing it. It is a hope, it is a longing It is an assurance that it will one day be. You don't have to be there 
to see the signs. All you have to do is read the couple of dozen letters that I've gotten where people have similar stories and hear their own joy as they have worked through those issues themselves and are way ahead of me. Maybe that's where you are. You're at the beginning or the middle or the end. And God has a place for all three. His goodness and grace is abounding and sufficient, no matter where you are. You see, where we have to begin is with our unacceptableness. Because we're going to sing in a minute, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. And it's got this line in there. And it says that even though your heart be broken, his grace is enough. So I invite you to enter in renewal with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the beautiful people that you have gathered in this place today to sit at your feet and to hear you say, you are my beloved. You are my sons and daughters, and I love you. That I know that you are unacceptable to me because not only of what Adam and Eve did, but what you continue to do. But I have made you acceptable if by faith you receive the work of Christ done for you. So that when I now see you, I see my son in all of his glory. It is a sign to you as if you had already done it. Father, teach us to receive that. Teach us to impart that. And where there is no joy, create it. Make it true that we rejoice in our sorrows because not one tear is wasted. You have gathered them all up and you will heal them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.